Mayor Pete spoke at the IU Auditorium this afternoon. The two-term South Bend mayor and Democratic presidential candidate used today's campaign stop to broadly outline his foreign policy stance. Buttigieg was introduced by former 9th District Indiana Democrat Congressman Lee Hamilton. At today's address, Buttigieg praised both Hamilton and now-deceased former U.S. Senator for Indiana, Richard Lugar. Together, these two giants used their Indiana values to help shape a tradition of American leadership, combining responsibility and restraint with idealism and vision. Thank you, Congressman, for your introduction. By his mastery of the relationship between serving a home district and addressing the affairs of the world, Lee Hamilton became one of this nation's most widely respected statesmen, and I'm profoundly appreciative of his encouragement and counsel over the years. When we first conceived of this speech, we had hoped that Senator Luger would also be able to join us, and sadly, that was not to be. Like so many who knew him, I am grateful for the time I was privileged to spend in his company. We were from opposite sides of the aisle, but his leadership, from a principled stand against apartheid to a far-sighted focus on nuclear security, was the stuff of true statecraft. And what's not to like in a one-time mayor from Indiana who cut his teeth as a Rhodes Scholar and a Navy intelligence officer. <laughs> Senator Luger once mused about the impact of time he spent with his grandchildren, saying, what's the world going to look like when they're my age? That really does take, he said, a huge imagination. And it's with that focus on the future and in that spirit of huge imagination that I'm standing before you. Buttigieg's campaign stop at Indiana University emphasized his experience as a Navy reservist in Afghanistan and his education, both at Ivy League schools and abroad. The 37-year-old mayor also took the opportunity to attack President Donald Trump before outlining his foreign policy priorities during today's address. Now, much was already broken when this president arrived, and he immediately set about smashing whatever remained. Paradoxically, this opens a unique window in which to grapple with the world as it is in the 21st century, with greater urgency and, in some ways, greater freedom than before. I often speak of the need for our politics and policies to contemplate the year 2054, the year in which I hope to retire after reaching the current age of the current president. Thinking about the world three to four decades from now is exactly how we need to compete with countries like China, because that is how they are planning, thinking, and investing. Now, to think this far out in American policy, we have to move beyond the news of the day to our deep core principles. To cope with enormous change, American foreign policy for the future must be securely valued in American values, American interests, and American relationships. First and foremost, values. The greatest strategic advantage for America has always been the fact that our country has stood for values shared by humanity. Touching aspirations felt far beyond our borders. <clears throat> However imperfectly, 
We have represented and defended principles of freedom and democracy that stir human beings wherever they live. And whenever such principles have been vindicated around the world, American strength has grown. Today, we worry about the current administration's abandonment of the American commitment to promoting democratic values. But just a few years ago, it was Democrats who expressed skepticism as a Republican administration undertook a democracy promotion effort so violent and so misguided that its fallout very nearly made isolationists of my party. To untangle the consequences of that scrambled period, we must remember that the lesson of the Iraq disaster is not that there is anything wrong with standing for American values, but rather that any action in the name of such values must be strategic, legitimate, and constrained by the premise that we only use force when left with no alternative. This brings me to the concept of the national interest. As any state does, we advance our own distinct interests. But much depends on the principles we uphold when pursuing them, especially in the case of America. The next president must set a high bar on the use of force, and an exceedingly high bar on doing so unilaterally. When America acts alone, it can only be because core interests are at stake and because there is no alternative. Notably, this is not currently true of the situation in Venezuela. It is not currently true of the situation around Iran. It is the difference between the necessary response to 9-11 in Afghanistan and the self-defeating invasion of Iraq. It is, in short, the difference between Normandy and Saigon. Which brings us to the third pillar of a foreign policy vision, American relationships. Our relationships, bilateral relationships, multinational alliances, international institutions, are the space in which our policy plays out. Each must be strengthened if we wish to promote American values and defend American interests. With this framework in mind, the tasks for the next president are clear. First, we must put an end to endless war and refocus on future threats. Second, we must promote American values by working to reverse the rise of authoritarianism abroad. Buttigieg also addressed U.S. foreign policy towards North Korea, Russia, and China, as well as what he called the disastrous effects of U.S. policies towards Mexico and Central American nations. Buttigieg also called on U.S. foreign policy to take a tougher approach on Israel, particularly when it came to abuses of Palestinian human rights. The suffering of the Palestinian people, especially the humanitarian disaster in Gaza, has many authors, from the extremism of Hamas and the inefficacy of the Palestinian Authority, to the indifference of the international community, and yes, the policies of the current Israeli government. And now Gaza has become a breeding ground for the kind of extremism that only exacerbates threats to Israel and the region. Israeli and Palestinian citizens should be able to enjoy the freedom to go about their daily lives without fear and to work to achieve economic well-being for their families. As Israel's most powerful and most reliable ally, 
the United States has the opportunity to shape a more constructive path with the tough and honest guidance that friendship and fairness require. The current state of affairs cannot endure. The pressure of history and the mathematics of demography mean that well before 2054, Israelis and Palestinians will have come to see either peace or catastrophe. A two-state solution that achieves legitimate Palestinian aspirations and meets Israel's security needs remains the only viable way forward, and it will be our policy to support such a solution actively. And if Prime Minister Netanyahu makes good on his threat to annex West Bank settlements, he should know that a President Buttigieg would take steps to ensure that American taxpayers won't help foot the bill. Buttigieg received his biggest applause at today's address at the IU Auditorium when he addressed global climate change and outlined his support for a carbon credit tax system in the U.S. We must treat climate change as the existential security challenge that it is. And as traditionally conservative sectors from the business community led by the insurance industry to our own military leaders repeatedly remind us, climate instability is a threat multiplier. It can accelerate the spread of pandemics, food insecurity, and mass migration. Research even shows a significant link between temperature rise and the frequency of conflict. The balance of my lifetime will play out in an era of climate-driven international instability. In other venues, I've had more to say about how America can rise to this national challenge. It's an approach that should include a carbon tax and dividend to reorient our economy around a more sensible reward system. It includes quadrupling American R&D to at least $25 billion a year. <laughs> Leading the way on research into renewable energy, energy storage, and carbon storage. I believe it also means we should empower rural America to be part of the solution, helping to unlock the potential of soil management and other 21st century farming techniques. And we could offer a new kind of support for cities and towns seeking to reduce their dependence on carbon. But today I want to emphasize the potential of climate diplomacy and the kind of world we might build when climate stands alongside democracy and human rights as a central goal and a source of legitimacy for nations in global affairs. Rejoining Paris is just the beginning. Fourth, we must update the institutions through which we engage the world to address these 21st century challenges and opportunities. And fifth, we must do all this while involving citizens across America in a meaningful conversation about how foreign policy and national security concern their communities and do more to include their voices and values in formulating our policies. Buttigieg's full speech at Indiana University can be heard on WFHB tomorrow during our weekly lecture and town hall series, Standing Room Only. That program takes place tomorrow, Wednesday, at 6 p.m.
For WFHB, I'm Wes Martin.